should we just drink now? <laughs> my God. <laughs> okay, right. Come on. Come on. We can do this. We can do this. I'm pressing the button. You ready? We're on. Okay, with me today is the awesome Tatiana Syrian calling in from New Jersey. It's about 2.30 in the morning. I'm absolutely fucking hammered. <laughs> but we made it happen. Tatiana, how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing great, thanks. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm holding on for dear life. I'm blaming you for that fact. I will happily accept blame for all of your vices. I am also... <laughs> see myself and um, glad to be here talking with you and everyone out there this should be fun uh, this is going to be it's, if it's going to be anything it's going to be fun for sure so for the for the people out there that don't know who you are they don't know you like i do what's the kind of one minute overview of who you are where you're from what you do and uh, what's going on okay so uh, my name is tatiana i for a living, quote unquote, I think like for money, uh, I'm actually a tutor for <clears throat> like basically standardized tests in the UK for um, be getting into college or post graduate uh, post college work like um, the LSAT, which is the law school exam, or the GRE, etc. So I do test prep like English, math, and science. Um, that doesn't pay as well as it should. But that's I do as little of that as possible to leave as much time as possible to be able to do what is my first love, which is um, activism of all sorts. But right now it's mainly with Extinction Rebellion. Um, I organize, even though I live on the East Coast of the U.S., like close to New York City, I um, organize mainly with the U.K. and with the global support. So I'm one of the coordinators on the Twitter account. Don't come see me if you have problems with it. Not my fault. Um, <laughs> JK, JK, JK. Um, and I also work with um, Money Rebellion, um, looking to talk about essentially how the political economy um, drives the climate crisis and other elements of like media and messaging. And I'm also most recently and most furiously working on something called Digital Rebellion, which is actions that people can take to lobby people in parliament about the policing bill and other authoritarian bills that are coming through in the UK. So do you have like a job description title type thing as such, or, or are you wearing many hats? Are the lines blurred? Because I know that you're not, you don't just manage the accounts, you know, you're very much involved in the organization and the back end, you know, and, and the, the planning and the, the messaging. And you're, you're very much a driving force behind lots of different lanes of this, aren't you? I think you are giving me way too much credit about being a driving force of anything other <laughs> than are. my own. No, no. Um, I, so I think most people do sort of have like titles. I don't really care so much about titles. I do have a couple of titles. I think what's unusual about what I do, particularly in XR, is that I kind of move between a lot of different spaces. And I think the reason for that comes from my own desire uh, to communicate between different elements of the group. I mean, XR is so big now, right? There's like, uh, we're in, I want to say 76 different countries. We've got yeah. over 250,000 members and there's, and we're a decentralized organization. Like every group sort of operates as its own. And unfortunately there's not as good like communication channels as it needs to be but i'm right. someone that's really into collaboration and sort of cross-pollinating ideas yeah. and and so if i can if i can bring people's efforts together from disparate places that are working on the same thing so they can mutually amplify 
that's what I do. So that's why I think I just work all the time in all these different spaces um, so that I can do that. But yeah, I mean, like if we're talking about like titles per se, I'm, um, I'm one of the co-coordinators on the ex- at Extinction R, um, Extinction Rebellion account on Twitter. I also help contribute to the um, the XR Global Instagram, um, <clears throat> primarily through like Instagram Live and so forth. I really like doing live casts and just being able to yeah. talk to people and yeah. being human. Um, and we also have a new TikTok now. Oh, but, God. Um, oh Jesus yeah. Christ. You're not dancing on there, dude, are you? No, God, not, not yet, because they haven't gotten me as drunk as you have. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm actually dancing on TikTok. It's a video of me on TikTok dancing, much to my fucking shame. That's hilarious. I'll be looking it is at hilarious. that right <laughs> <laughs> um, So, yeah, I hope I, I contribute to those. And then for Money Rebellion, I work mainly in the media messaging and um, the... Uh, I'm the external coordinator and an external coordinator and extension by all they do is like they visit other groups to sit on in other circles to be able to communicate and sort of thread the needle. So I sit in political circle and I sit on the XR UK M&M team as a representative of Money Rebellion and also the global account and also digital. Jesus Christ. And, and as you've told me before, you don't sleep. You get about what, four hours a night if you're lucky. If I'm lucky. Yes. Much to my friend's chagrin who keep telling me I need to sleep more. Yeah, you do need to sleep, oh man. Listen to your friend. That's crazy shit. Um, for the people listening to this, what they're not getting is uh, we're actually doing this on camera right now. So um, we, what you're not getting in the podcast is you're not seeing what I'm seeing on the screen, which is the cute little cherub face, the um, the awesome pigtails and nails and <laughs> uh, the smile and the energy and the passion and the fun and the joy and the humor and the laughter that comes through Tatiana's massive personality. But I'm pretty sure you're getting that vibe just through the audio. So what I want to ask you is, how do you maintain that? Given what you do day in, day out, fighting for a cause with so much opposition and resistance that is so urgent and so important and so scary and depressing. Yet you're like the most energetic and fun and optimistic person I know. So how do you, how do you do that given what you do for a living? My cheeks are hurting from smiling so hard at that incredible um, intro. And also I think, I think, uh, what was it? Uh, pigtails and fingernails is going to be a new screen name of mine. I love that. Um, <laughs> um, I think honestly, it comes, it comes from why I'm an activist in the first place, right? Because this is, you know, people do think of XR as like, Oh my God, you're all total doomers. But um, I think the people who are the doomers are actually, you know, the psychopaths running this world who are condemning us to a future none of us would choose right yeah. and I think what we're doing is uh, uh, the vast majority of the people that i interact with in xr like this is where they're coming from but like for me personally as well it's because of love like it's because we love humanity it's because we're so in love with like the the world that you know exists right now flawed as it may be and also the idea of the world that we could have if we could get some of these structural impossibility not impossibilities like structural um things that are holding us back out of the way, the things that we don't deserve, the things that we don't choose, the injustices, and not just when it comes to climate, but like all kinds of justice, racial justice, gender justice, all of it's wrapped up because all of those injustices can be tied to the kinds of systems of power that we 
are currently toiling under and it's power that we should ourselves have. So I think that's where sort of like the, the little kid, you know, like joy that you're talking about comes from is because it is just about this embrace and this understanding that, you know, our society lies to us and it tells us that we're episodic and we're siloed and we're, we're all just individuals and aggressively individualistic. And, you know, they've done that because it isolates us from each other, from nature, even from our very selves and people who feel isolated, people who feel um, a fundamental sense of disjointedness like that naturally, even not even realizing it feel a bit, insecure and unstable in this world because we don't have this understanding of this web of life that we all belong to. Right. Yeah. Right. And we're easier to market to when we're depressed. Oh, for real. Yeah. And divided and, and scared. Yeah, absolutely. And like Bernays came up with this, like back in the, back in the day, you know, um, he was, uh, Sigmund Freud's nephew and he used what Sigmund Freud was doing in terms of like the insights that he had into humanity to say, well, how can we take those vulnerabilities and, sort of turn them inside out to message to them and sell things to people. And individuality was one of those things. Um, so I think what, what is a fundamental understanding for me is the fact that all life, all of this mystery and this magic that we're living, it's all interconnected. And we are kind of, the way I see us is like atoms in this sort of universal expanded in, interconnected web of life, right? That every face you see, this was um, Richard Bach, one of my favorite authors, had written, I don't remember if it was in, in one or in Illusions, his books, but he had mentioned that, you know, parallel lives do exist, but not in other, some other space-time continuum, but they're being lived around you right now. And every face you see is another mask on the side of your own soul. Mm, I like that. Richard Bach. I'm going to check that out. And it's so true as well. I mean, we're all the same, we're different yet the same, you know, really, you know, the world over, we've got the same concerns, we've got the same worries, we've got the same insecurities and fears and desires and dreams and ambitions, you know? Absolutely. And think how different the world would be if we all treated each other with an understanding of like, you're just an extension of me, like you are me, I am you, and we belong to each other. Yeah, I love that. And you you said something to me as well uh, last time we spoke, which I was re- which I was personally really inspired by because uh, I think I I think I asked you the same thing then. It's like, man, how do you do it? Because I can get really depressed and kind of bleaked out by this stuff. Um, I'm a bit of a kind of a nihilist, you know what I mean, and and a, cynic, a cynicist, which is kind of an easy way out, really. And I said to you, you know, how do you how do you keep your energy up so much? And you said you kind of just focus on one day at a time like if if at the end of the day you can go to sleep for your two or three hours or whatever it is that you get as long as you can look back and say that like you did the best you could today and you did the most that you could today that gets you through and i i was really inspired by that because i'm someone that focuses on the big goal and i get very depressed then when i don't get there but what, but what you don't realize is that you've gotten halfway there which is way more than you would have if you didn't have any hope whatsoever, you know? So I think that really resonated with me as someone that is very uh, defeatist in that sense, that I tend to be so overwhelmed by how big, certainly on the, the issue of the climate, you know, how, how fucking impossible winning that seems. So I think what you, when you said to me that you just focus on one day at a time, I, that really, um, I really resonated with that. That you say that. So I'm glad that, you know, that, that put it in some perspective. I think, and also, I think people have um, 
and, and, and activists maybe don't do enough to, 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 to message and communicate this to people. I think people have this understanding that, oh, like an activist is someone who like lives in this sort of ivory tower of self-sacrifice and, you know, it's in saviordom. It's not, it's actually not about that. There are honestly very valid and very positive selfish motivations for activism that I think um, get overlooked. So for example, my, a friend of mine once said, she's um, ex-military and I met her during the, the sort of Kavanaugh uh, occupation in the States and in DC when we were uh, nominating a new fascist judge onto the Supreme Court. And she said, activism is the best way I know to manage my rage. Nice. I and like that's it. the thing. It's about it's about maintaining our own frustration with the world. Because if someone took me away from being an activist right now, or for some reason I couldn't be an activist, I think that the my only other choice would be paralyzing depression. And right. the key difference between those two states, like the knowledge is the same, but it's about feeling like you have some some agency and feeling like you have something, some power. It's a reclamation and a recognition of your own power to work in concert with other people to try to affect change. And when you feel like you're you're making some progress on a problem or even just trying to, because at the end of the day, the only failure is in failing to try, right? 100%. So if you're, if you're at least trying to, then, then there's less of a sense of that like defeatism, which... <clears throat> Honestly, like I get, and I totally have empathy for, I feel like everybody nowadays, I mean, not to be presumptuous, but I would, I would venture to say that everybody nowadays is walking around with this sense. It doesn't matter if you're left, right, center, or not political at all. You're walking around with the sense of like, things are fucked up. There's something wrong. And it's, it feels like it's growing bigger. And gosh, I really don't want to look at it because it just seems like a quagmire. And I don't, I don't want to get into it because like, what the hell can I do? And I think where the defeatism actually comes in is the, is the throwing your hands up and saying like, well, I mean, you can't change anything. You just got to try to carve out what you can in the life that you're living. But I think what that doesn't recognize is the amazing empowerment and the joy that comes with being around other people yeah. who aren't afraid to give a shit yeah. and to believe in their own ability to affect change. You know, Martin Luther King was not a defeatist. He said that even if I lose, I've got to try. Right. So, and like, we don't all have to be Martin Luther King either. This is like activists. We're all an activist for something that we love. Everyone, everyone will fight for something that they love. It's just realizing that what we love is ourselves, like ourselves, our, our fellow people, our, our, our fellow life on this planet and having a livable future. Amen. Beautiful. And for people who don't know where we're at right now on the issue of the climate, because, you know, that, that's a central tenet of what uh, XR does, you know, amongst other things. But, you know, we recently had the, the latest IPCC report come out, um, which is bleak. I mean, we all kind of know now that the environment is fucked, but I don't think, I don't think many people truly realize how bad it is and how narrow the time frame is that we've got to, to try and, and prevent the worst of the damage for, for all of us, for all of us, not just people that we see on the fucking news. I mean, it's coming for all of us. I wish I had come more ready with quotes. I mean, essentially, I think the, the thrust of this IPCC report, which was working group two, was that things are worse than we would have assumed they are. Um, and we have like literally just a few years to turn things around and we need a sort of vast systemic shift, right? 
if we're going to address this because business as usual is essentially us being led off the cliff by our governments into suicide. Like we're just being sleepwalked off of this cliff into disaster. And we need to, as people, be pushing for this fundamental change and this divestment from fossil fuels. Like we don't, people talk about like, oh, there's a carbon budget. There's no more carbon budget. There is a, we need to stop now because of things that are existing in the environment. Like, like 1.5, when people are still talking about 1.5 degrees Celsius being like a goal, there are scientists out there who are saying that 1.5 is already baked in and we're probably going to at least two degrees Celsius, two degrees Celsius as, um, the, um, Ambassador recently said a couple of years ago, Ambassador Lumumba said two degrees Celsius warming is death for Africa because two degrees Celsius, that means average over the globe, right? But things are hotter over land than they are over the water. Two degrees Celsius rise means it's seven degrees on land for Africa and the global south. That is where crops die. That is where droughts happen. We're talking about multiple, and I know this is going to sound like big, bad and scary, but it is. But I also I don't want it to sound like that without also saying that there are still ways to change this. And that's why climate activists are putting themselves in the roads. It's not because, you know, we love going to jail, right? <laughs> I mean, um, we're not jail junkies. It's, <laughs> it's because like, yeah, this, what we're looking at is multiple breadbasket failures simultaneously across the globe. Crop yields. I mean, don't believe me. Don't take my word for it. Like go and research this if you want to, right? Um, the crop yields have been going down by 20% year over year. How many years do you think we can manage that until there's a breakdown? Plus, when we have all these like erratic things in the climate that could take it off the scales and, and bring it on faster. So multiple breadbasket failure means millions, if not billions of people starving to death. That's why we're fighting so hard, because we don't want this for our human family and we don't want what it's doing to our ecology. I mean, if we if we think that we can somehow live separately from the planet that that sustains us and gives us life like yeah. we're incredibly misguided yeah i mean how the idea of terraforming mars is somehow easier <laughs> than protecting what we already have ever became- oh, no 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 we're like definitely building a slave colony on mars i think is a much more sensible solution than just fucking not destroying the planet that we are already actually live on what a douche elon musk is really you know what i mean and we've only got a few years to turn this around right yeah, two, like two to four years, they're saying. Right. Which is why it's so important for more people to get involved now and, and, to, and to appreciate that like every single one of us does have a role to play, not just in um, joining a movement and, and protesting and, and lobbying your, your representatives or whatever, but also like in our day by day lives as well. Although I do think that without like global systemic change, like nothing is going to happen. But I mean, there are things that we can do in our day by day life as well you know, waste and, and, and uh, our diet and our sort of relationship with food and things like that, because like agriculture is, is like what a quarter of the fucking contribution towards climate change is, is agriculture. Um, I don't, I don't know if it's that high. I have to look at the numbers and I don't want to misquote science because like, yeah, science yeah, yeah. Will get it's, it's a lot though. It is, it is a lot. And here's the thing when we think about like food, et cetera, you can feed a lot more people on a lot less land. Yeah. If we're talking about like, yeah, like vegetarian based yeah. diets, et cetera. But also I want to stress and underline the point because this is something I think that also people have this understanding of XR or like other climate organizations where, you know, you've got to be like vegan and doing yoga and like some sort of evolved perfect human being to join. 
XR doesn't hold solutioneering positions on things like that, even though, you know, obviously, like there are there are solutions that we're aware of economically, politically um, to do with diet and the agricultural system that would be wise. XR is pushing for more democracy. Mm. At the end of the day, what we're pushing for is for everyday people to be able to have say over what direction their government has, because one thing that a lot of people don't realize is there is an accelerating decline in democracy globally. Like even these so-called Western democracies that let's be fair, we're only really an illusion of democracy being sold to us. Because if we think about democracy is like the definition of democracy being how much um, power the individual person has over the direction of their government, there hasn't been true democracy for all the people in any of these places, really. But what what we're pushing for is more of that, of like, you know, citizens' assemblies, et cetera, because we believe that people will make better decisions on a longer intergenerational timeline than these people that just want to get elected and get power and get money because they're only making decisions within the scope of an election yeah. cycle, Yeah. which is why they will gleefully um, drive polarization in our society. They will segment left and right even further away from one another. When, to be fair, and I know this is like unpopular opinion, we have more in common with the people that we see as being on the opposite end of the political spectrum than we will ever have with the people who claim to be our leaders. 100%. we got more in common with everybody than we've got with our leaders. You know, I mean, these, these, these 1%, they might as well live on a different fucking planet, you know, and I know they're working on it, so maybe soon they will. But, um, you know, it seems to me that we're not really going to be able to effectively change anything on this issue without serious societal change as well. I mean, everything is tied into this, you know, from social justice to, you know, race, democracy, inequality. I mean, anything that we do whilst all those other things are still in place is going to be just piecemeal, you know? So, I mean, is the actually effective change that we need possible? I absolutely think that's possible because they changed it in the first place to get it to the system it is now. We didn't always have this. And that's the thing. Like, people think about the current economic system that we have if people even think about the current economic system, because let's face it, they've done a really good job of making economics so dead boring that nobody ever wants to learn anything fucking about it, um, which I get. But like, that's, you know, here's the thing. Economics, it's not, it's not magical. It's not rarefied knowledge. It's not even that difficult, like to understand. Sure. Like certain, obviously like advanced concepts, but I mean, the basic precepts of economics there, it's not, it's not difficult stuff. It's just that, they, they don't tell us about it, so we don't have any interest in it, even though that's the singular factor that affects and impacts our daily lived experience from how high the rent is to how much the energy yep. costs to how much you get paid at your job. Like economics and politics rule our lives, and yet somehow we've been they 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 are so good at getting us to like not want to engage with it. But yeah, I think systemic change is absolutely necessary because to, to get is necessary and possible to be, to be clear about like the question that you asked. So the economic system that we have now, this particular brand of corporatism that, you know, free market capitalists are like, Oh, like, well, you know, this isn't capitalism. This is corporatism. We've never had true capitalism. Yeah. yeah, yeah I get it. We've never had true communism either. I get it, whatever. <laughs> but, the point, but the point being that this particular brand of corporatism is the one thing that we kept from the Nazis that we proclaim to hate so much. It's, it's, there's a great, if you just Google economic fascism, there's the, um, I forget the exact name of it, the, the Foundation for Economic Education, I believe, fee.org. 
they have an amazing article on economic fascism and how this particular brand of corporatism came from like Hitler and Mussolini. And that's what we kept from the Nazis. And that's why it is this system of like, of economic fascism over everyday people where we're not treated as human beings. We're treated as resources. Right. right? Um, And if the whole idea to me and the idea that I think we need to reclaim as a society is that an economy exists to serve the people. For real. And if an economy is not serving the people, then we need to have a different economy. There's lots of different ideas out there for ways to organize an economy. And separately, our economy has zero value for a tree living in the ground in all its tree full beauty doing its tree thing, right? (laughs) That has zero value to our economic system until you kill it and cut it down and break it into pieces and make things out of it and can sell it and et cetera. Um, And an, an an economic system that has no value for intrinsic life is not an economic system that can ever be justly applied to the living ever. Totally. And, you know, in economics, they're not laws of nature. You know, I think people think that the, the, econo- the economy is like the weather, you know, like the old, the economy is doing this today, or we have to do this because the economy is doing that. But the economy is a man-made construct. The economy can be whatever we decide it is. I mean, it's not a, a tangible thing that exists in nature. We invented it. And we can have whatever economic system we want. You know, and that's not even like some fucking crazy David Icke conspiracy theory shit. That's real. You know, the whole thing, the whole monetary system is actually a a man-made fiction. And we can decide whatever we want to change that to. Absolutely. I think we've we've made it up and now we're berating and, and killing people for something that is ultimately a fiction that we write the rules of. And we just are refusing to rewrite the rules to save people's lives because money I mean, that's insane to me. That's insane to any normal ethical person at all. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I think if we had a media that actually did its fucking job, you know, because I don't think many people truly can grasp just how much fucking money the 1% make. You know, it's difficult to wrap your head around because we don't live that reality. The discrepancy between the people that run the planet, you know, the wealthy that own pretty much, you know, more than the rest of the planet combined, the discrepancy between how they live and the rest of us is just unfathomable to most people. And because we don't have a media that is actually on our side, it's easy to kind of gloss over these things and make them, you know, overly complicated economic theories and, you know, find scapegoats and social excuses for stuff. When in actual fact, the whole system is, is a very delicate house of cards that can very easily be changed with the will and the, the systemic changes needed to make that happen. But of course, the media are the 1%. And without access to real information, we can't really build movements large enough to actually force power to change. And meanwhile, the inequality divide gets bigger and, and the planet is, is close to dying. Yeah, absolutely. And also, I mean, I don't want to let the media off in any way lightly here, because I think just like politicians, the media has a very grave responsibility, I think. And, and they're they are placed in a position of trust in our society. Trust that some people somewhere, I haven't met them recently, but God, I, I think you're still out there, who like trust that the government is doing the right thing, right? Or that politicians aren't lying to us. Bless your bubble, wherever you are. Um, so, but like the media is not, like we talk about the media being captured, right? But I think it's beyond just 
captured. We think of it as like being captured by our politicians or by corporations. It's not that the media is the 1%. The people who run the media are the drivers of the lies and they're perfectly positioned. Like one of the things that exists in the UK, there are these like, you know, dodgy dark money think tanks that set themselves up as like independent organizations that get to publish reports about things. But the people who sit on their boards are people from like, you know, the, the times media group or et cetera. It's everyone, everyone who runs the media sits on those boards and we don't get to see where their money comes from, but gosh, they're putting out an awful lot of things about supporting big oil so we can guess where their money comes from, you know, and this is going directly to politicians. This is how the UK political class is being bought out by big oil money being sort of laundered by these think tanks that are being arbitrated by people on the media. Like that's what's happening in the UK. It's a class, you know, I mean, they're part of the same social class. I mean, class is is the root of all evil in our country, really, because of the, you know, the way that our society has been structured, you know, from feudalism and, you know, um, the nobility and shit like that. I remember speaking to Noam Chomsky once. I asked him about uh, what 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 he his opinion was on things like the Bilderberg Group and stuff because I used to be a massive conspiracy theorist, and he said to me, um, "I don't think they're up to much." You know, he, he said they don't need to go to their annual Bilderberg meeting in order to get up to their fucking dodgy Illuminati bullshit. You know, they live on the same gated communities as each other. They could pick up the phone to each other. They see each other at the same charity balls and galas and fundraisers. You know, their families know each other. You know, their friends get jobs in each other's companies and exactly the same as it is down here at our level. So it doesn't need to be a conscious conspiracy, but the outcome is very much the same because they represent the same social class. They have the same worldview. They've been educated in the same elite universities and they move around in the same circles in the same world so it's all they know so i'm not letting them off the fucking hook but i'm just saying that if we're looking to the mainstream media to fight our corner and to represent our problems it's not gonna fucking happen you know i mean political commentary within the mainstream media may seem very diverse it may seem like certain papers are left-wing and certain papers are right-wing but the debate is framed within a very narrow spectrum of possibility you know, I mean, the, the needle never moves very far away from the narrative that they as a social class are the benefactors of and thus have an interest, conscious or otherwise, in perpetuating. Yeah, you remind me, actually, and like, I, I don't remember who said this. and I'm legit about to quote a tweet, but there was an amazing tweet the other day that said they got you fighting a culture war so you don't fight a class war. Mm, yeah. And that's what it is, you know, I mean, and these are things that people need to, I think, be more aware of. That's one of the things that I'd love to like, just shout out. If I could shout out anything about what's going on, it wouldn't even just be about climate or racial justice or gender justice. It's, it's, it's going to be about the way that we're all being played for fools by the system. You know, um, things like there's something called the Duchenne formula that is literally the playbook for how they divide and conquer progressive movements or movements for change, any movement for change. And they put activists into like four categories. So either you're opportunists, you're um, idealists, you're realists, or you're radicals. So your opportunists are really easy to get rid of because they're the people that just join a movement because it's getting popular. And as soon as there's any sort of bad press around a movement or a person in a movement, like the opportunists will like scatter like cockroaches, you know what I mean? Cause they were only there for the, for the sort of, yeah, the shine of being with your group. Um, 
And the realists are the ones that you can like negotiate with. And you can negotiate them out of the movement by saying things like, oh, well, I mean, like, don't be, don't like, let's be reasonable. I'm going to be realistic. You can't, you can't change the entire structure. We can give you these little, you know, little breadcrumbs that you should be happy for, but like, let's, let's be realistic. And the realistics are like, oh yeah, well, you know, I guess so. And as soon as you steal conviction away from someone and belief from someone, then they no longer have the conviction to act. And they, they feel like it's all futile. Right. Um, and then that's how you get them out. The idealists, they try to turn into realists to get them out the same way. The only ones that, that you can't negotiate with and that aren't going to leave are the radicals. And the radicals are the ones they're not, they're not necessarily like radicals. I mean, I feel like that's a, that's an interesting word to use, but this is how they typify them. The radicals are the ones who see the rot in the system. They see that it's not just this one thing over here that needs to be fixed or this one little band-aid that needs to be applied. But it is, it is the scaffolding and the structure of the system itself that is creating all of this. And that is what needs to be fundamentally changed. Not yeah. like born down and set on fire and torch. It's not necessarily, it's, it can be very nonviolent. It can be completely from a place of love, but they understand that the rot in the system is what needs to be addressed. And the only thing that companies and governments can do to a radical is either defame them or kill them. And they've actually used, I've, I've got um, a slideshow where a marketing company was actually applying the Duchenne formula to an oil company um, in their presentation about how to deal with pipeline activists in Canada. I mean, they knowingly use this formula and people don't even know that it exists. Yeah, that's super interesting, man. You've told me about that before. I need to really look into that. I'll send you the link if you want. Post it for people on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. I'll do that. That's a great idea. Thanks, man. I'll do that. And uh, speaking of people listening to the podcast, I'm sure they're getting a memo right now that you are just a treasure trove of wisdom and information. And even though it's heavy going stuff, I could listen to you all day. Honestly, oh. it's like it's like a cleanse for my mind. Mm. Sorry, go on. No, I want to tell a quick story. One last thing about the bleak and the depressing and et cetera. Can I tell a quick story? So when I was in the Kavanaugh um, occupation, I was literally like, I thought I was going to be in D.C. for like a couple of days for like the Supreme Court vote. or Sorry, the... Um, the Judiciary Committee vote confirming Kavanaugh, we're going to go home. We ended up delaying the vote, delaying the vote, et cetera. Um, and that's when, you know, other stories came out, et cetera. And like, we were there for a month, basically trying to scrabble for like a place to sleep every night. We didn't, you know, it was all kinds of incredible, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like instability that I'm not used to in my very ordered life generally. Um, but I remember there was a day and it was like, it was, we've gotten some bad news, like legislatively that day, we were all outside, um, in, in the rain. And I was thinking about how these amazing people that I knew who I'd watch, like come in day after day into judiciary committee hearings and get literally carried out by like four cops holding a limb as they're writhing and screaming at senators, like these badass humans that I was blessed to be around, you know, and I was just thinking like, wow, you know, I've only ever had heroes that are like dead Russian authors, right? Um, and I never really grew up, like I never, I was never a star fucker. I didn't give a shit about celebrity culture. <laughs> like all that shit was vapid to me. But I'm looking around, I was like, holy shit. Like I do have heroes and my heroes are my fucking friends. And like, that is the most life affirming thing about activism is being surrounded by people who are brilliant and badass and ethical and doing their best to change this world for 
themselves and everyone else, you know? It's infectious too. It's contagious because when you're involved in that, it brings out the hero in you as well, didn't it, you know? I mean, yeah, you don't want to be like behind your friends, right? <laughs> By the way, not calling myself a hero at all. I'm just saying like that's that's how I felt in that moment because... Of course, yeah. If we all, like, just last anecdote. If I look around my friend group from before, like I really became super involved in organizing and activism, my friends were awesome. They were funny. They were, they were cool. They were all like musicians and creatives and like amazing people. Um, and you know, I still love them to this day. We still talk and we still hang out, but there's, there's something else when you are looking at people who are throwing themselves into something that is greater than all of us and universal. And there's, there's something else about being in a space where like, oh my God, like I'm here too contributing is is a whole different sense of feeling, feeling like you're living in alignment with your own ethics is the best thing in the world. For real. It's addictive. Yeah, it is. It really is. Yeah. Almost as much as this one I'm enjoying. Anyway, go on. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, just just for clarity for the people listening, uh, whilst Tatiana has been this like fucking right on and articulate and intelligent and laying it down and blowing our minds, she's actually nailing her way through a second bottle of wine. (laughs) Showing me on the screen right now, it's like the thing's fucking empty. Um, I'm hanging on to the desk by my nails for dear life after like, you know, fucking... Four pints of Guinness. I mean, to be fair, it's been like four or five. You're fine. You're doing really well. <laughs> I would appreciate you back, friend. You're doing oh, well. thanks, man. I don't feel I'm doing particularly well. I think it's when, you, when you're when you're like the host of a podcast, you're not supposed to turn up shit faced at like two in the morning. You know, I'm doing my best to like ask you intelligent questions. You know. Yeah, I'm bringing whatever sort of like full sentences i can make out of like this besotted wine sponge <laughs> yeah that's what's happening right now i'm looking at my drunk face on the screen thinking oh jesus i shouldn't have done this drunk you know i've got i've got tatiana it's, it's kind of like endless beacon of wisdom and i turn up fucking drunk you know what i mean I'm a douche that's why i stopped drinking in the first place why is that because you felt that it affected your wisdom i've never had any wisdom but it just affected my life you know like i was pissed for 10 years you know and every day i was just like hung over and groggy and slow and i just got fucked off with it and uh, i just stopped yeah completely for like three years i didn't drink a drop until uh october just gone and i'm, I'm right back in the deep end now boy let me tell you yeah, so I feel like because I work so much and I never take time for myself, I literally like it's I'm I'm really boring. I do activism all the time and only my only self care is like I was telling James, doing my nails or um taking care of my plants because my plants ah. are lives that are dependent on me. You didn't and tell me about your plants. It's very meditative. It's like my connection to life. Uh, like most people, I got really into plants actually just before the pandemic hit, but I was really glad I'd, I'd gotten that. And I continued that during the pandemic because I live in a tiny sort of Northeast apartment that like doesn't have a backyard. And so it was really nice to have living things in my space yeah, in the midst yeah. of like all the pandemic death right outside my door. Um, but yeah, plants and plants and nails is, is what I do. But um I realized that I need to drink more because like, you know, all fun and no play is, is does not make for fun. I mean, I remember, I think about like the life in the before times when like I partied and, you know, I was like, uh, man, I was, I was a total, I I lived in London for a couple of years, actually back in the day. And I used to work at Dogstar at mass when it was still around mass is now gone in Brixton. And God, I was just like, 
I felt like a fucking rave queen back in the day. <laughs> and here I am just in like, you know, dozens of hours of the Zoom meetings. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah I need yeah. to think these people. Yeah. Oh, I totally, just- man. Yeah. Like for me, that was it. Like when you're, when you're facing life just every day in all of its fucking realities, it's just, you, you need to have a, you need to have a, that, that valve that just lets a little bit of it out, you know? And that, that's what it was yeah. always for me. And like, um, you know, when I was struggling in a band and stuff like that, you know, sleeping in a van and, you know, like, um, I had like gaffer taped kind of like dirty t-shirts over the van window and shit like that. You know, you, you can't live like that and be completely <laughs> fucked. You've got to have a little something when you're living like that, man, you know? So, um, you know, I, I was just, I was just fucking pissed for like 10 years, you know, and like, and, and not just pissed, but then hung over as well the next day, you know? And, uh, yeah, I mean, what I, what I found when I stopped drinking was not having that release valve, my stress just went through the roof i was just losing it over stupid shit because like at least when i was drinking i had that kind of like i could let out a little bit of the pressure a little bit of the steam kick back have a laugh you know relax a little bit and i think um that was one of the main things that drew me back to it was just having that kind of um that little antidote to uh the brutality of daily life you know yeah i mean it does function as and i know people are going to probably get like some people will get mad at me for this for this uh like categorization but it's kind of, it's a shortcut to unconscious meditation. Mm. Because the, the whole goal of meditation is to not feel emotional attachment to the things that you're thinking, mm. right? Even if some people say like, oh, you're not supposed to think at all. But the idea is that you don't let the things that you do think, because the brain is made to think, things that you might think during meditation, you're, you're, you're dissociating yourself from the emotional outburst in response to those thoughts of yours, yeah. right? And that's what drinking can do. But there's other ways I feel that, you know, it it is just about sort of finding other ways to do that, like actual meditation. Interestingly, fun fact, I did not know this, that meditation is one of the best ways to increase your willpower because of just the act of focusing like that and being able to like dissociate your emotional reaction from your mental cogitation right um so yeah um i've totally experienced that i've because I, I did transcendental meditation training um and i, I did it uh, religiously 20 minutes twice a day for a few weeks wait, wait. it was the fucking... mean you do like actual projection into my room because like let's hang out <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't stick with it for very long man it was really hard like but when i was doing it it was fucking like I could feel the effect straight away. Like I was sleeping. I don't sleep very well like yourself, you know, and um, I was sleeping great, real deep sleeps. And what you were saying there about um, how it affects your kind of ability to um, have, a bit, have a bit more discipline in all other aspects of your life. Because when you, once you actually tune in and focus on the thoughts that are going through your mind, you realize that 90% of it is just fucking bollocks. It's just noise, you know, bits of songs and to do lists and random thought. It's not, it literally just noise. And we get so caught up in the headache of it all day, every day. Once you're able to sort of analyze it from a, from a second perspective almost, which is what happens when you meditate and you're able to, to not get caught up in it, that discipline then carries over into your, into the rest of your sort of like normal daily life. I found, but then it not not long enough for me because I kind of stopped after a few weeks and never went back. You know. Well, you no, know, interestingly, and what you say. So you're talking about like all the books that you think, and yeah, like there's loads of sort of things that your sort of mind is processing, right? But what what I think I think a lot of people are confronted by and are embattled by is 
the voices in our head that we mistake for our own that actually other people have put there. Yeah. The critical voices, yeah. the, the abuse from childhood, the bullying, whatever it is for anyone, right? Um, we, we take those thoughts and we make them our own and we, then we mistake that for our own voice and then realize that that was never your voice. That was never what you would do to yourself is a huge empowerment and an ability to just sort of quiet those things down. And a really good trick that a friend had given me, because like everyone has that voice, no matter how successful somebody looks like, everybody's got that voice. And some people mistake amplifying those voices as self-discipline. Like, well, if I don't beat myself up, I'll never do anything. Like, really, really? Do you really think so? I don't, I don't, I don't believe that because, um, some, like, I remember, somebody was once saying like, Oh, I'm, I'm really careful about like policing those voices and, and, you know, uh, fighting them rigidly when, when they come up. And then another person said, no, no, no. Like you don't want to give them that kind of energy because those voices are looking for energy. So what you should do in those moments is say things like, Oh, Oh, you're here again. I know this is the thing that you do. I get that. That's what you need to do, but I'm busy. So I'm going to go over here now. So you keep doing you and eventually they'll just kind of fade because you're not giving them any sort of energy. Totally. totally. It's like a muscle. And it's uh, what, what's that, uh, the, uh, what they call the chimp paradox or something. It's almost like you've got a chimp in your brain and you're letting the <laughs> chimp kind of like, he, you know, he's just prattling away day and night, you know, about all sorts of fucking nonsense about whatever. And, and you're letting that dude make the decisions. You know, you've got, you've actually, you've got your actual kind of like subconscious brain, you know, your, your gut instinct and all that sort of stuff that is aware of it but you're letting the uh, you're, let, you're letting the monkey kind of do the thinking you know making the decisions for you and that's kind of like what it is like when i when i meditate i become very aware of that because i'm there's two kind of consciousnesses that you've got you know you've got that kind of inner voice which is just at the forefront of it but then you've got the observing self which is aware that that's happening when you meditate and um for me the biggest thing was just realizing just how much fucking nonsense is flying through my brain constantly and then um you know realizing that and being able to dis- disassociate myself from that really did benefit me so like yeah meditation is is definitely something that i would recommend not that i do it because i don't i find it really really difficult so i do what you like what you described as the shortcut to meditation which is <laughs> guinness <laughs> <laughs> i feel like we just like came up with a new ad campaign for guinness the shortcut yeah <laughs> No, there was a, this is like so far away from like activism and the stuff that we were talking about, but but actually not in a way, because this is one of the ways that Extinction Rebellion came to be founded. But um, there are retreats that you can go on um, where they take you through like personal trauma healing through psychoactives, right? And through like hallucinogens, because the premise is that so much of our emotional responses to the world are based in trauma and we don't even realize it. And what's fascinating is like, so there's like, there's a place I think in Utah, which is interesting because it's Mormon country and also like a place in Costa Rica where you can go and do like a series of different kinds of hallucinogens. And um, what they do, I know at the Utah center, there's, you have guides, right? So you're sitting there and you're like on a massive dose of like mushrooms and then, and or MDMA. And um, you've got guides that are talking you through all the parts of yourself that you have problems with or all the things that you hate about yourself or whatever. 
and sort of because you're in this ultra empathetic state of love, you can look at those things without being afraid of them and you can deal with them sort of one by one. And on the other side of it, they recommend that you sort of stay there for another couple of weeks just to relearn how to interact with the world. Because a guy that went through it was saying that it was almost like being reborn as a baby hmm. into a world and having to reform dis dispassionate and non-traumatic emotional responses to things. And he's like, now like things don't bother me as much hmm. because I see them without the sort of personal attachments to my own trauma. That's interesting. And I really want to experience that. I was going to say, I was going to ask you my next question. So have you ever done any sort of like psychedelics? Have I ever done psychedelics? Yeah, absolutely. But I've always done psychedelics. <laughs> so when I, when I was super young, I think I was doing psychedelics like to party, right? Hmm. Um, but like soon after I started doing psychedelics, I think where it got to for me was, was a, a sort of personal vision questing yes. of like discovery I, exploration. Yeah. I want to learn something about myself every time I go into that space. Mm. And they've done studies about this as well, which are fascinating that like doing shrooms, for example, for potentially up to a year and a half after the one time, the one incident increases your creativity, your empathy, yep. your sense of connectedness, mental like health. It's, it's Oh my God, lug loads. I mean, yeah. okay, we're, we're not doctors. Please, please do not substitute <laughs> medical advice. Don't stop going to your psychiatrist, you know? Um, yeah. But, but I'm just saying that there's, that there are incredible like plant medicines that, you know, again, the system that we live in, because it's profit driven, you can't patent psilocybin, right? Yeah. So they're, you know, instead giving us pills that are incredibly toxic and only sort of fix one thing or desensitize us and don't let us feel and fully experience our lives. I'm not saying that people don't need antidepressants or don't need like anti-anxiety medication. Yeah. Obviously, again, I'm not a doctor. Please don't comfort me on that. But, um, but there's all these other things that are so much more that like are historically known for centuries that have benefited humanity and that we are completely cutting ourselves off to because, Oh, they're class A drugs now or whatever. Yeah. 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 And like fungi is a massive one, man. I didn't realize until recently, but like, uh, there's just so many different types of mushrooms, which are actually scientifically proven, you know, in peer reviewed studies. This isn't just some hippie bullshit, you know, to actually be seriously effective against certain types of cancers and all sorts of different illnesses. And also like in terms of mental health, uh, psilocybin mushrooms in particular have recently been shown to be really effective. Like they can actually see it on fucking scans and stuff um, that it's really effective in helping to alleviate like depression and anxiety and, and all sorts of things. And this is actual like mainstream science now. This isn't some alternative shit. It, it's almost like, you know, it's taken like thousands of years for mainstream science to actually catch up with what the hippies have been saying, you know, all along, you know? Yeah, loads of people are microdosing nowadays. You know, yeah. I mean, I prefer macrodoses myself, but, you know, <laughs> microdosing is, is a thing and people are finding, you know, like serious benefits within. And I think, I think actually also all of that is much more acceptable Maybe maybe this is my skewed view from the kinds of people I used to hang out with when I lived in the UK and the kinds of people in the UK. Don't blame the I UK. But no, I feel like because you guys can just go <laughs> at the right time of year and pick your own, you know, psilocybin. Whereas like in America, it's sort of still viewed like some people equate things like 
things like shrooms with like cocaine and i'm like no not no not at all man (laughs) cocaine is the fucking wanker's drug i mean like mushrooms i used to love my times on mushrooms man i mean like um growing up in south wales you know we're we're just in the middle of the countryside the middle of nowhere we're surrounded by them me and my mate would just go into the field and just pick up fucking carrier bags full of them and just get absolutely fucking wasted Uh, from from the age of like 15 or something i think i was doing mushrooms right up until my late 20s and i absolutely fucking loved it man and it taught me a lot about how reality is basically a projection that's created within our minds because I would take a couple of mushrooms, you know, and then within an hour or so, you know, like shit would just start changing color or whatever. And it wasn't like a druggy kind of, you know, grimy kind of vibe. I would be completely rational and the same person. I wasn't pissed or, you know, unable to, to do normal shit, but um, everything would just be a different color. You know, and and the TV would be in 3D and just weird shit, but it would be really normal. You know, it it would seem perfectly normal for that to be the case. And that just made me think that if my entire view of the world that I'm physically seeing in front of my eyes can be changed by the addition of a few mushrooms, then how solid is our reality anyway? And to be fair, I mean, all, all anything any chemical like that does, right, is that it creates uh, a surge of your own chemicals that already exist in your brain, right? So you're literally getting high off your own supply of brain chemicals that are being fomented or catalyzed by the introduction of this catalyzer. And that's what, that's what I find most interesting is that like, if I can do that because of ingesting something, well, then why can't I have access to that more often? Why can't I always allow myself permission to be there? Because what is uniquely interesting about things like shrooms or even like MDMA um, is the fact that it's like the cosmos drops the veil and you see this interconnectedness that we walk around not fully aware of all the time. And that is that once, once you have that experience of that kind of, I am part of this universe I am just a cell yeah, in this amazing real. body yeah. of life. You know, you can't ever really unsee that. I love the fact that we got onto magic mushrooms. <laughs> <laughs> maybe I feel like it might be a different podcast, but maybe not. This is taking a big left turn at this point. Yeah, I mean, that's left turn. But to be fair, to be fair, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but I don't know how much people in Extinction Rebellion would like me to be amplifying this. But one thing to, to realize is that one of the co-founders, um, Gail Bradbrook, actually went to the Costa Rican retreat that I was discussing. And she'd done, I don't, I don't remember exactly which ones they were, but she did like three different um, hallucinogens over the course of, I think within, within like a span of two weeks. And within that two weeks, like, I mean, she went through a lot of like, you know, working with the shadow self and, and, and coming to terms with things and healing. And she also had visions of like a certain number. And when, in back in London, there were I think I think a group of around fifteen people that were actually like the co-founders of Extinction Rebellion. But one of them, um, she had seen a number, and when when she started talking to this person who was also one of the co-founders, he had that number around him, or he mentioned it, and that was when she kind of realized, like, oh, this is a person I need to start this movement with. Right? Wow, like, that's that crazy. Is how Extinction Rebellion came to be Jesus. was one of the. 
Yeah, so there you go. I brought it all full circle. Yay. <laughs> you brought it back. I love that segue. I didn't even know if it, it might not even be true, but it was a great segue. So we'll say for the purposes of... True. You can look it up online. She's actually oh, done Oh, yeah. I, I know. I was trying to be like all legal and shit. You know what I mean? Like allegedly, yeah. you know. You know what? I'm not someone who shies away from controversy. And like that's how I attract it just breathing. So bring it, you know, I'm not, I'm any lies. <laughs> well, I was trying to be all like professional and shit, you know, which, which is, makes a change for me. Cause normally I, I don't have to give a fuck, but I was like thinking, okay, if this is, this isn't public knowledge, then, you know, maybe do I like leave this in or do I like, you know, like I've even made a note to like make an edit point if I need to take it out. But, but if not, then fuck it, we'll leave it in. No, leave it in, leave it in. <laughs> it's damn interesting oh, i love the fact that we came around to mushrooms man that's awesome and you and you managed to segue it back as well which is uh everything's connected mate <laughs> yeah man <laughs> so when you're not a badass crime fighting ass kicking ninja diva and speaker of truths and my personal guru uh what do you like to do with your time to kind of like chill and kick back other than like drinking taking mushrooms and your plants what was the other thing you said Nails. Ah, right. Yeah, that's right. Nails. <laughs> I remember the first time you told me that and I was caught off guard a little bit. I, th- I suppose it's like my own personal stereotype coming into a, a play of like what I considered like an fucking ass kicking ac- hardcore activist type of person to be. And I don't really know why I felt that that was such a kind of contrary image um, from what I thought of as somebody when I think of someone who, who spends their days basically crushing corporations and fucking fist fighting politicians, you know? Yeah, I think most people wouldn't because, you know, it's weird. Like, I, I feel like, you know, we all have to fit into these boxes and images and expectations, right? Of like, oh, I've got to be this crunchy granola activist. So I only ever wear like natural fiber clothing and no bras. And, you know, I don't care about things that are associated with like typical patriarchal, you know, standards of beauty for women kind of bullshit. And, and like, that's the thing, like, just because something looks like it is something like it looks like it might be some sort of vapid piece of vanity. You know, the thing is that I do my nails myself. For me, it's an art, it's an activity in like art, art, art and creativity and design because I get to like figure out what I'm going to design. It's, it's meditative. It's one of my only, like I used to, I used to love to paint. I, I mean, I still love to paint. I just don't have time for it. Or like I used to write and do spoken word, which I still like now is, is very focused on, you know, writing responses to Rishi Sunak's like budget <laughs> announcement. <laughs> not exactly spoken word. Um, I mean, it's so creative and it's so awesome, but it's just not the same thing. And so for me, it's an exercise in creativity. Like I learned how to paint. Like I felt like <laughs> those guys that like, you know, do like thousands of characters on a grain of rice, trying to figure out how to like freehand paint something on a nail. I'm telling you, man, with such a small canvas, that is a challenge. A Batman. And and I also get to listen to like stuff that I don't have time to listen to when I'm doing all this reading every day because I spend hours hours of my day like the probably eighty percent of my day is reading like studies and reports right. or like whatever and so taking notes on things so I mean being able to just listen to podcasts or listen to like things that I've been meaning to listen to unfortunately I don't I don't do a lot of like fiction movies or things like right. that but like Alan Curtis Adam Curtis documentaries I'm all about you know like catching up on when I'm doing my nails kind of thing that's kind of work as well isn't it really I mean 
I guess you could look at it like that, but it's also, it's also just like understanding expansion. I've yeah. always wanted to just know things. And like, I think that's one of the things that honestly drives me so much in, in what I do is ever since I was a little kid, I always just wanted to understand the truth of things. Yeah. And it's hard in this Same. world where you know, truth is both so subjective, but also right now so fucking manipulated, right? I don't like the sense that I'm being lied to. Yeah. And I don't care if the truth is awful. I would just like to know that I'm holding on to something real for once. 100% agree with you there, man. And that's why I get so frustrated. I mean, I actually stopped consuming all forms of media and news for a, for a long time. And I'm still kind of a bit like that, really. I just don't know what to fucking trust anymore because everything has got its spin and its bias. Of course, we know that. But I mean, where do you get your information from there? Where do you go? You know, what sources can, can you recommend anything off the top of the off the top of your head that, you know, that you could like give a shout out to that other people can check out? Um, one of my favorites is probably like, so independent media, 100%, you know, I go to mainstream media just to see what the propaganda is. Like, Oh, what are they saying that I need to fashion like a truth response to, but I really like, um, byline times, like 1000%. Yeah. Like I love the byline times. I love the Canary, um, declassified UK. Oh, Mark Curtis um, is awesome. He follows me on Twitter. I love Mark Curtis. Yeah. If you've ever watched, um, um, uh, open democracy, Peter Gagan right. does amazing work. Like there's, there's lots of good, if, if anyone follows any of the sort of umbrella groups under the independent media association, there's, there's like dozens. I mean, I want to say there's like 40 or 50 independent media sources under the independent media association. If you go, I think on Twitter, they're um, IMA underscore press. And um, so it's all the ones that I just mentioned, plus like loads that you, you know, probably haven't heard of, but you know, I really, and also when it comes to things where I'm not sure, right. Like, so with all this stuff like recently around the Ukraine, right. Or if we want to look at, you know, something that is, like hotly contentious, like anti-vax protests, you know, or like not anti-vax, but like anti-vaccine mandates yeah. specifically, yeah. which is a different thing from being anti-vax. Um, I really care about going and finding what people on the ground themselves are saying, you know, um, understanding that, that that's still that, that subjective reality, but at least that that's more primary lived experience than whatever spin is going to be coming out from you know, a news organization like, yeah, TV news is, I, I mean, I, I'm one of those terribly boring people. Like I don't, I don't watch TV, honestly. That's not boring. Ever. That's rock and roll. That's cool. That's, that's the new, that's the new cool. Oh, okay. So it's like, it's like London, like that one band in Norway that does like death metal. That's, that no one that's, heard that's, of. that's the new death metal. Yeah. I'm so niche. <laughs> I'm so niche. Yeah. No, I'm, <laughs> yeah. I mean, like there, there's like, I mean, I watch things that are video based, right. But I don't watch like, TV, anything, because I mean, there's so much reality that I want to know about that I don't, I'm not interested in, in distraction. I don't need to be distracted from what the truth mm. is. I want to, I want a, a lifeline to the truth. So, yeah. um, yeah. So independent media is generally where I go. And I will also listen to people like, to be fair, I'll listen to people that I like, uh, reflexively feel like I wouldn't agree with. Because I think what's dangerous is that we all get into a bunch of echo chambers. I think that's hugely important. Yeah. So in, so enlightening as well. Oh, well, it's, I mean, you have to because everyone's got something they're saying that has truth in it. 
It's about being able to understand what are the nuggets of truth. And also just in understanding your fellow human beings and yeah. like, what, what is it that is activating them to do this thing that I might on the surface of things disagree with. But yeah. when we can understand each other, that's where empathy is found. And this, I'm not going to engage in self-polarization and not consume other media or not consume other opinions just because I'm automatically dismissing them out of hand. I think that is exceedingly dangerous. Yeah. And it is contributing to the polarization and the breakdown of our society. I completely 100% agree. I mean, in order to build bridges, and ultimately, like, you know, we need numbers, don't we? With, with, you know, the climate issue being something that affects all of us on the entire planet. You know, we're not going to stop it, you know, if we're polarized and fragmented into little, you know, factions and stuff like that. You know, we need to be working as one unified majority and the only way we're going to do that is if we make converts with the with the other side you know i think this is a problem that the left have had for a long time coming on to what we talked about earlier with the fragmentation you know the life o'brien syndrome you know the people's front of judea syndrome um as i as i think of it and i think what you're talking about yeah it's, it's like closing yourself off to even listening to what the other side of the story might be. I, how the fuck are you going to build bridges with those people and have a, a conversation whereby you might bring them over to your side of the, de- of the debate, you know, if you can't try and listen um, to, to their side of the debate. And I think that ultimately it's not about preaching to the converted. It's about having conversations with the unconverted and, and bringing more people over to our side. Well, and also, like, I don't even know if it's so much like I hear what you're saying. and I don't I don't disagree that like the bringing over to our side. But also, I don't when I talk to people, I do try to have conversations with people from the other side. I mean, it's harder with where I live and and, and the spaces I move in now. But I, I don't I do welcome those experiences. And I think it's not even about trying to bring people over. Because my main goal in having those conversations is trying to just understand where they're at mm. and where they're coming from. Because as soon as I can understand where somebody is coming from, even if I completely disagree with where they end up, I can. There's there's a common humanity yeah. in seeing what they're what they're afraid of or what what pings for them or why they're motivated to believe the things that they do. And there's there's lots of like points of places where we can agree and. In, in, you know, somebody once said um, the problem with a lot of conversation nowadays is that it's very one-sided and that we're just waiting for the other person to shut up so we can talk. And what we should be trying to aim for in discussions with other people is not to win, but to lose. Right. Like, help me lose. Show me something I didn't see before. Show me an understanding or an insight that I didn't have before, because that's the space where I've learned something. And I don't have any, like, if you're going to be a true student of life, of people, of other people's opinions, uh, other aspects of life, you know, there's no ego when you're being a student. There's only like openness and, and subjecting something to your own critical thinking. Dude, you're a wise old owl, honestly. For your, for your, for your, she, Tatiana is only 23 years of age, ladies and gentlemen. Can you believe that? God, you're such, I love you. <laughs> oh my God. Because I look young because of pigtails. I'm not 23. <laughs> well, last time uh, I spoke to Tatiana, we had one of these marathon Zoom hangouts uh, without alcohol uh, that time. And um, I said to you then, didn't I, as I've said to you today as well, I could listen to you talk all day, honestly. You are such a fountain of wisdom and insight and compassion and humor. And you're just always an absolute pleasure to talk to, to hang out with and to listen to. But I know that I can't 
have you here all night. So for people listening who, who aren't involved in this cause or don't, don't know much about Extinction Rebellion, hopefully, you know, they've been inspired now to, to get involved and to at least have a look and to check it out. Um, so what can people do if they're not already uh, with us? What can people do to, to check out Extinction Rebellion and to get involved? Where do they start? Yeah, so you can go to rebellion.global. You can go to extinctionrebellion.um, I've got to forget their extension. I think it's extinctionrebellion.earth as well if you're in the UK. But anywhere in the world, you can just go to rebellion.global and um, you can sign up. You can, if you want, if you like what you're hearing, I do run the Twitter account and I do check the DMs. So you can just shoot us a DM um, on the at extinctionr account. If you want to get in touch with me personally about anything else, um, yeah, I'm at beautyabounds, the number four, and you on I Twitter. I did not know that. Yeah, or shut it down, Tatiana, on Instagram. I don't follow you on Instagram. Shit. Well, you're better to fix that, mate, right now. <laughs> you got picture, have you got pictures of your nails on there? I don't. I should. I should have some on there, right? I'm no, amazed like, you haven't the- got an Instagram page for your nails. <laughs> well, like I said, it's for me and the art creation. It's not about the vanity, but just for you. I'll throw up a picture of my recently blinged out scroll Victorian nails. Right. For there you. we go. There we go. So for anyone listening, say, say your uh, say your handle again one more time. Uh, Instagram, I'm shut it down, Tatiana. And um, Twitter, I'm at beauty abounds, the number four and the letter U. Beauty abounds for you. And you were going to see these badass nails. <laughs> I guess now I have to. Sure. Yeah, it's out there now, dude. That's it. <laughs> oh, Tatiana, it's always an absolute pleasure to speak to you and to listen to you. And um, we need to do it again more often. But thanks so much for coming on my humble podcast and sharing your wisdom and your energy and your joy and your hope. And thanks for everything you're doing as well, because like you were tireless. And um, I salute you, basically. I'm, I'm a fan. I'm a fan and I'm a cheerleader. So thanks for everything you're doing. Thanks for coming on and chatting to me. And thanks for getting me drunk and keeping me up. Like normally I'm in bed about seven hours before now. I'm barely hanging on. <laughs> so uh, so thanks well, for being a bad influence and a badass. Oh, well, I'm, I'm honored. And thank you so much for having me for, you know, also like being a reciprocal fan and cheerleader because I am so one of yours and appreciate who you are and what you do and taking a stand for what you believe in and speaking out with your art because, you know, we can't have any change in the world, I feel like, without art and artists standing up and speaking out. So I think that's massive. And it's just an honor to be here. And I'm happy to be here whenever you want me. So thank you. Oh, well, we just had a promise that she's going to come back. So there we go. We're going to hold you to that, man. <laughs> promise or threat? I don't know. But either way, there yeah, it is. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to throw down some rules next time. Like we're going to do it like in the afternoon where I'm not going to be lured into your drunken debauchery. I'll just have to get drunk at 9 a.m. I'm not, I'm not opposed. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm supposed to be the one that's in the rock band. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm doing yoga and drinking herbal tea in my slippers and you're like downing gallons of wine and, and still fucking laying it down badass. Well, you know, we could be rock stars together in our own way, my love. You're my rock star, dude. And on that note, I'm going to stop gushing because it'll get weird and awkward otherwise. <laughs> but Tatiana, thanks so much for coming on. It's always an absolute pleasure to hang out with you. I, I always look, look forward to chatting with you and uh, learning from you. Thanks so much for everything you do. And hopefully everyone listening to this podcast is going to see you on the streets sometime and uh, come and give you a big hug <laughs> and a big kutch, as we say in Wales, and, uh, and buy you a drink. I adore you so much. Like, I, I'm so I'm so grateful for your just your realness and your humility and your just humanness. And I just have such love for you, really. Oh, stop it. We're drunk now, I think, aren't we? Okay. 
I gotta go to bed. It's fucking 3 a.m. <laughs> All right, my love. Have a beautiful night. Rest well. Wow, you too. Thanks, dude. I'll speak to you soon. Bye. There it is, folks. Uh, before I do crash out and go to bed, because I'm fucking hanging now, um, I hope you really enjoyed that one. Uh, Tatiana is such an intelligent girl. And I think that conversation probably warrants a, you know, a, a re-listen because there's a lot of knowledge and wisdom in there um, that's, just, that's not just limited to the activism space. But I'm going to bed now, so make sure you check out all of the links that Tatiana mentioned earlier. Get in touch with her on her socials. Check out Extinction Rebellion's website and get involved. And don't forget, please, to subscribe to the podcast for more interesting chats with damn interesting people coming up every week. So hit the follow button, hit the subscribe button, like it, share it, get involved, fucking leave your comments, slag me off, like suggest people that I should come on with a contrary view or anyone you want to listen to. Your support is the life and death of these podcasts. So, um, so help me push it out there because, you know, the social media platforms don't, they squash everything unless you want to give them some money. So it's on you guys to help me uh, spread the word. And if you think these chats and conversations are interesting, then help me push it out there and engage with the post because then that feeds the algorithm what it needs as well. But that's me for this week. Love you loads. See you next time.